You are listening to the Catholic Thinkers Podcast, a free treasury of instruction in the Catholic intellectual tradition. If you enjoy this lecture, please visit us at catholicthinkers.org forward slash donate. This course is from our International Catholic University Classics Collection, originally recorded between 1995 and 2005. My first three lectures were essentially introductory. I was trying to show why philosophy in this broad sense of all our merely human knowledge is so important to theology for our personal understanding and for our interpretation of the Word of God to the culture in which we live. I try to show that it's very important what we think the sources of true and valid knowledge are. And I emphasized the fact that an Aristotelian epistemology mediates between a materialist view and a spiritualist view. And the spiritualist view's effect in modern philosophy of making the division between idealism and empiricism. Now I want to begin with actually talking about how we use secular knowledge in understanding the Word of God. And the first point of contact and of use is in the field of hermeneutics or exegesis. An important development in theology, mainly in the continental tradition, has been the concern for hermeneutics, that is, the interpretation of ideas, the interpretation of thought, the interpretation of how people express their view of reality. And we have names like Gadamer and Ricoeur, who have greatly contributed to the development of hermeneutics. This is a certain point of contact also with British empiricism, because they're interested in analysis, the clarification of language. And so for both of these traditions, the interpretation of language, its clarification, or its deeper meanings have come into play. Now obviously that is of concern to the theologian. St. Augustine, I would say, who is the greatest and most influential theologian of the West, greater even than Aquinas because Aquinas built his theology on the work of Augustine. St. Augustine, in his De Doctrina Christiana, on Christian doctrine, tells us that if we're going to read the Bible, we need to know the liberal arts. This is the point where I think fundamentalism has gone astray. Modern fundamentalism is based on a lack of understanding of interpretation of hermeneutics due 
to the faulty education of so many of our people. We don't know the liberal arts. What were these liberal arts that St. Augustine is saying are so important to the reading of the Bible? They were traditionally listed as the trivium, or three ways of understanding, grammar, rhetoric, and logic. And the quadrivium, which were mathematical and scientific, and were listed as astronomy, music, understood as mathematized music, and arithmetic and geometry. In other words, pure mathematics, arithmetic and geometry, and their application to science in the two fields where the ancients had applied them, namely in astronomy and in music, musical or acoustical theory. Greek philosophy was based on the liberal arts, and medieval education was based on the liberal arts, and that tradition carried on down to our own times. And yet, in many of our schools, these arts are neglected. As a teacher who now deals mainly with graduate students, I'm often quite alarmed at the fact that here they come to write their doctoral dissertation, and it shows a lack of preparation in grammar and rhetoric, let alone logic. They don't quite know how to make an outline for their doctoral dissertation. That means that in their lower education, they did not learn those skills that we call the liberal arts. And those skills are essential to the study of the scriptures. And so let me now try to give some notion of what these liberal arts are about. Speaking of them, I follow especially the line taken by Aristotle, who is one of the main contributors to this tradition, but who had a more elaborated version of it than simply the division into trivium and quadrivium. Aristotle said that grammar, or linguistics, is only secondary in the liberal arts. It's important because we need to know how to speak our own language, but it is not the basic theory in the liberal arts that needs to be acquired. In the reading of the scriptures, the fathers of the church, or modern theology, however, we can't neglect the linguistic aspect. And some philosophers today speak, as we spoke of the Cartesian turn to the subject, they speak of the linguistic turn, the turn of philosophy to language. But language has its meaning from what it tells us about, what it signifies. It's just a system of signs, and those signs refer to something deeper. And so we have to go beyond grammar to something deeper. And for Aristotle, the trivium was no longer a trivium, but in itself a kind of quadrivium. 
because it was divided first into two sections. Those arts of thought and communication which have an affective or emotional aspect to them. And those ways of thinking in which emotion is excluded. Our thoughts are connected with emotions. And yet we know that to think objectively, as we do, for example, in mathematics, we have to put aside our emotions at least a bit if we are going to do mathematics. We may like the number five better than we like the number four, but we have to treat four and five as equally numbers. In this first group, that use of expression, learning, communication, thought, which has an emotional side necessarily, there is another division, namely between what Aristotle called poetics, and we would probably today call literature, and rhetoric. In a way, these two forms of thought contrast with each other. Poetic, which is what we find in fiction, in the novel, in the poem, in the epic, in the film, in the drama, and also in the plastic arts, in painting and sculpture and architecture. The poetic aims at contemplation, the pleasure of the person who views the work or hears the work. We don't go to a movie to be instructed primarily or to be propagandized. We go to a movie to be entertained, to be interested in the story and its outcome, and perhaps in the beauty of the photography and the skill of the actor. So poetic is that liberal art that deals with the use of expression and communication for contemplation, entertainment, and enjoyment, recreation. You might say, well, how is that useful in theology? Theology just isn't there for entertainment. No, but there has to be in theology something that arouses our sense of beauty, drama, and interest. A great theologian of our time, Hans Urs von Balthasar, has emphasized that the Bible is about not only the power and the goodness of God, but the beauty of God, the glory of God. How often the Bible talks about the glory of God. God is something to be looked at and loved because of his glory, to be praised. And to communicate that, theology needs those arts that know how to express the beautiful, the contemplative, the dramatic. And so poetic is very important to the theologian, and it's important to the Bible. The Bible is full of wonderful narratives, and today there's a whole branch or attitude to theology that is called narrative theology. Theology is a story, 
that interests and fascinates. And Jesus himself, in the parables, told us stories that are moving, like the story of the prodigal son. They move our feelings. We wonder how it's going to turn out. So we can't read the Bible without appreciating the poetic, learning how this is done, how a story is told, how a poem is written. And in theology, we need it in order to understand the beauty and praise of God. Contrasted with that, but also a use of thought and communication that has affective, emotional side, is rhetoric. Rhetoric is the art of persuasion. To communicate to another person, to persuade them to do something. We know it in its obvious form in the art of salesmanship. The commercials of TV which get in the way of the poetic entertainment side of TV, are rhetorical. Their aim is always to move us to buy something. But also rhetoric extends to the political. The politician is a leader. He wants us to carry out his program, to vote for him, to get together to do something, to cooperate in a particular task. The Greeks particularly were interested in rhetoric, and what was most basic to Greek education was the study of rhetoric. In a way, philosophy came out of rhetoric. And it's not surprising then that it has deeply influenced philosophy. But of course, in theology, rhetoric is essential. A sermon is a piece of rhetoric. It's trying to use language and thought and reasoning to get us to believe in God, to obey God, to follow his directions, to live a Christian life. The art of the preacher is the art of rhetoric. And a great part of the Bible is constituted by what in effect are sermons. Jesus was a great rhetorician. The parables were told not just to amuse an interest, although they did that, but they were also told to persuade, to live a Christian life of love of God and neighbor. Two aspects of rhetoric affect us also. One aspect is the aspect of history. We learn things from history. History has a lesson. And good historians have always been rhetoricians. They don't merely recount events. They try to teach a lesson. The other aspect of rhetoric, besides the historical, is that rhetoric helps to form character. It persuades us not only to do better things, but to become better people to develop the life of virtue that we're going to be talking about later on. Now, those two liberal arts, the art of poetics, to present something beautiful, interesting, dramatic, 
and the rhetoric to present something as good and desirable to persuade are affect the emotions. But as I've already said, there's a type of thought when we want to be cool, to rise above the level of the subjective and emotional to the level of the objective, the impartial, simply regarding the facts and the analysis of the facts. That level is often called logic. Actually, for Aristotle, poetic and rhetoric are also forms of logic because the word logos means word, and they have to do with communication just as much as logic in this narrower sense has. Logic in the narrower sense is divided also into two things, dialectic and scientific or critical logic. Dialectic is the logic of debate or controversy and also of research. When we are feeling our way to objective truth, we have to consider different hypotheses. This and that. Is it this or is it that? What's the arguments for this? What are the arguments for that? And consequently, we have dialectic. Plato was the great teacher of dialectic. His dialogues are precisely that. In the dialogues, the character of Socrates uses a dialectical method to proceed. For example, in the Republic, they are discussing what is justice. And they debate back and forth, giving one notion of justice, then another notion of justice, then moving to a better notion of justice, and so on. Until, in fact, in Plato's dialectic, you come all the way to the top, to God himself. But in any case, dialectic for Aristotle is especially a method of research what today we call the hypothetical or scientific method, in which you propose various hypotheses and then argue for and against them until you get the one that best analyzes the facts in an essential manner. So dialectic is very important. Today we talk a great deal about ecumenism and dialogue, multicultural dialogue. The art of that is the art of dialectic. To be able to hear the other fellow, what the other side has to say on a question, what both sides have to say on the question, to find the truth in both. In the medieval university and in a theologian like St. Thomas Aquinas, if you open the Summa Theologiae, you see that every article is a dialogue. Objections, possible hypotheses, arguments for it, answers to it. It is constantly trying to get a balanced view, looking at all sides. Today, then, a good theologian has to be a dialectician. He has to balance reason and faith. And among the many opinions about reason, the many interpretations of the faith, he has to see the truth in each one. The medievals made a point in their debates 
never to simply deny what the other side said. Never deny, always distinguish was their rule. Find some truth in what the other fellow is saying. And of course, that's the very notion of ecumenism, is that we have an art of finding the truth in positions that at first sight seem to be in contradiction to our own faith. And through that gradual working of side to side come to a greater area of agreement. Now the fourth of these arts, which is logic, in the strict sense of the word, of demonstration. I'll say more about that later on. But obviously, simply to go on debating a question is not enough. We eventually have to come to judgment. We have to judge what is true and what is false. And we have to test that by the art of logic, which shows whether what we are saying is consistent or inconsistent. I'm afraid a lot of our theologians don't have much confidence in that these days. They're content to balance one view against another. In Aquinas, from the very beginning of the Summa Theologiae, he argues that theology is a science in the strict sense that it can come by critical thinking to some solid conclusions. Now we have to be aware that most of our thought remains at the level of dialectic or rhetoric or poetic. It's only sometimes that we are able to get down to the level of strict demonstration. But it is necessary that we demonstrate some things strictly or all of our knowledge is up in the air. Now the final element in the liberal arts was the quadrivium. The study of arithmetic and geometry, pure mathematics, and then their application to science, the building of mathematical models, which modern science uses even more extensively than the Greeks ever did. In modern philosophy, through the work of Frege and Bertrand Russell, there was a tendency to try to argue that mathematics is nothing but logic. They're identical. And what is called symbolic logic, using symbols as we do in mathematics, was developed to produce unity between mathematics and logic. But mathematics is something more than logic. It's very logical. And it is our model of deductive logic of starting with general principles and definitions and then showing how all the conclusions, the theorems, follow from that. You might think that mathematics has a very small role to play in theology. Although in the Bible there is a certain amount of symbolism based on numbers, certainly there is not much mathematics in the Bible nor does mathematics have a very direct connection with theology. We can't turn the truths of theology into mathematical equations. Nevertheless, 
the theologian has to have a kind of basic understanding of what mathematics is all about for two reasons. One reason is that it does give us a model of logical, critical thinking. And by getting that, it sharpens our standard in theology. We learn how to be more critical about our theological thinking. We can't reduce it to mathematics. There have been people like the philosopher Spinoza who tried to do that. We can't do that. But we can learn from the mathematician to be critical-minded. But second, and I think this is more relevant, modern science depends heavily on mathematics. Mathematics is only a tool of natural science. It's not natural science itself. Mathematics is about abstract quantities. The real world is made out of abstract quantities. It's made out of material things that have quantities, that have measurements. And what the scientist does is for the sake of sharp thinking, hard thinking, and for the clarity and simplicity, she uses mathematics and mathematical models to apply to the measurements of physical things. And this has been of enormous use. It was only with Galileo in the early 1600s that natural scientists, again, began to make greater use of mathematics and especially more sophisticated and developed mathematics. And today, mathematics, quantum physics, is largely mathematical. We have to understand that if we are going to understand what current theories of science tell us. If we're going to understand the theory of cosmology, the Big Bang, if we're going to understand the genome, if we're going to understand all these marvels of nature that science is uncovering, the theologian who is ignorant and unappreciative of the mathematical mode of thought is not going to go very far. In conclusion then, the theologian needs to know the liberal arts. They're very pertinent to hermeneutics, to the exegesis of the scripture, and to the understanding of philosophy and theology. Without them, we are almost certain to impose our own feeble and confused thought on the wonderful reality that God has made, and hence to have a very confused and muddled notion of God himself. We hope you enjoyed listening to Catholic Thinkers. Please visit us at catholicthinkers.org forward slash donate to help us keep this content free.